Are the millions of people who refuse to get the jab proving to be correct or paranoid? We're approaching the two-year mark of the COVID vaccine rollout, and we think it's a good time to ask this. The release of the shots was accompanied by an inescapable global propaganda campaign in which we saw governments, corporations, and NGOs work together, like little drug cartels, eager to get their product into as many people as possible. First, they played nice. They spent piles of money, some of it yours, on slogans and advertising to convince you that the shots were safe and effective. And they would save us from the big, bad, terrible virus, this horrific virus with a less than 1% mortality rate that you weren't allowed to treat with anything else, even if it worked, especially if it worked. But then they saw that millions of people weren't taking their experimental concoctions. And that's when the regime's patients began wearing thin. And we experienced the most deceptive, intense, and coercive global propaganda campaign in recent history. One that our grandchildren will be reading about, assuming we get to write the history books, of course. They tried, and to a, to a concerning extent, they succeeded to strip you of your freedom to travel, to work, to get an education, to have a life, to have any freedom. The globalists wanted to vaccinate the entire world. They told us outright, and these plans have certainly not been shelved, by the way. But millions of us, at least a third of Americans, said no to the jab. Remember that? Some lost their jobs, their ability to travel, time spent with family. And meanwhile, a few brave medical experts stepped up. Our affiliate magazine, The New American, gave them a platform before many others did. We interviewed several of the most now-renowned names in COVID tyranny resistance, People like Drs. Peter McCullough, Robert Malone, Pierre Corey, Sukari Botke, Lee Merritt, and so many more. So where are we now? We certainly have more data on the shots, so I think it's time to ask, were we right not to trust the science? That's what we're discussing in this episode of Freedom is the Cure. And before we dive in, please remember to share this video and subscribe to the Freedom is the Cure social media and podcast channels. It will help get our crucial message out. My guest today is one of the smartest people I know. Dennis Barrett is the publisher of the New American Magazine and the author of the recently released book, Endgame, COVID and the Dark State Quest for Biodigital Convergence in a Transhumanist World. I always got to say that slow. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Dennis. Thanks, Paul. Glad to be here. Hey, so um, we always, well, we, we often talk about how, you know, we're looking back at this, we're going to look at TNA coverage yeah. of, of COVID, and um, we're going to be very proud, as we already are. So I wanted to start with an article that you wrote, and that was on March 22, uh, 2021. So that was right, I think it's what, like a month after the rollout, something like that. Now it seems like before the last ice age. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> So in the, it's, uh, you, it was uh, aptly titled, Should You Take the COVID Shot? And I'm sure you remember that. And uh, I think you were a little cautious in there, but I'll leave my opinions aside. I but tried to be a little cautious. You are. You certainly succeeded. But you wrote, there is evidence that all is not well with the vaccines. And then you cited several stories. You remember of people, I think it was only four or five anecdotes of people who had died over the world. Uh, including a doctor from Florida, uh, elderly people from Norway, a 78-year-old California woman, and a news anchor from Michigan. Obviously now, I think we have 
uh, more than that. And then you, ra uh, you mentioned studies that were raising concerns about the shot fertility uh, as regarding the fertility and something that, uh, called that, that may lead to antibody-dependent enhancement. Uh, you probably recall that. I still yep. don't know. Uh, but uh, apparently that could lead to death. Looking back at that article and the way you had approached it and what we were looking at, how do the concerns in that article compare to what has happened since? Well, I wish I could say that uh, the concerns were unfounded because no one wants to uh, be right about forecasting possible serious disaster. And I tried to be cautious in that article because predicting the future is a notoriously difficult thing to do. Uh, and you can't tell. And, and there was a difficult aspect, in a, especially evident in this case, because these vaccines, as I think everyone now knows, uh, were not adequately tested. Uh, they were rushed into people's arms in a way that uh, there has been no previous example of. And so it's difficult under those circumstances to know exactly what a novel solution like these vaccines would lead to. Uh, but there was plenty of reason to be concerned. Uh, and I wrote an entire book, Endgame, documenting a century of those reasons yeah. uh, to be concerned. Um, Terrific book, by the way. Thanks. Uh, and I think that uh, as we stand now, uh, the concerns uh, have been borne out in reality. Uh, we're really looking at what I think is a catastrophe for human health and well-being in the wake of this vaccine rollout. It's it's really a, a disaster of uh, historic proportions. What and are I, we finding out? What makes you say that? Well, you know, and we're finding out that thousands of people have been injured. Tens of thousands of people have been injured. And, you know, I'm being very cautious when I say those numbers. They seem alarming. But there are, there are people, medical professionals, who are now coming out uh, who are saying it's in the millions of people who have been injured uh, and tens of thousands of people have died. Uh, I'll cite one of them. Uh, his name is Dr. Uh, Hodkinson. Uh, let me see if I can get you his full name here. Uh, Dr. Dr. Roger Hodkinson. Let me tell you his bio real quick. Uh, Dr. Hodkinson, according to MedMall doctors, uh, received his general medical degree from Cambridge University. He was a scholar at Corpus Christi College, residency at the University of British Columbia, became a Royal College Certified General Pathologist, and also a Fellow of the College of American Pathologists. Uh, just today reported that uh, he had some, st some statistics on what he thinks has been happening. And he said the deaths directly attributable to the vaccine are at about 20 million with an estimated 2 billion serious adverse reactions. Or? He's talking world, worldwide. 20 million, that's what he's estimating, huh? Yep, and I'll quote here. Uh, it does, this, these numbers, he says, do not include stillbirths, do not include avoidable deaths due to having a one disease healthcare system for two and a half years uh, with people not being treated or investigated for tr uh, cancer or treated for cancer, for example. Those numbers are not included. The numbers from the lockdowns, the suicides are not included. And also not included are the future deaths that we're anticipating from a rapid increase in the rate of cancer presentations and fatal infections because of immune suppression induced by the clot shot. Those factors are in addition to those jaw-dropping numbers that I just mentioned. Mm -hmm. I haven't investigated his methodology for coming up with those numbers, but because of what we have seen, uh, we can't rule out that he's right. Yeah. Uh, and that's a disturbing disturbing situation. Well, we recently ran the press conference of Dr. Malhotra, right? Yeah. Uh, what did he present in this? Because he seems to have taken some time to, uh, he was very careful before he called that con uh, that press conference 
and he had looked at lots of information yeah. and whatnot. Well, Dr. Malhotra is one of the doctors from Europe and the UK in particular, uh, where they're seeing excess deaths. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's not alone. Uh, I think if you look at his press conference as a singular event, uh, it seems like, well, he's just talking about one country, he's talking about what's happening and what he is seeing, but he's not alone. So let me bring up uh, Germany. Uh, in August of 2022, a new peer-reviewed study has uh, come out, um, excess mortality in Germany from the period 2020 to 2022. Uh, I have that right here in front of me. And again, this is not uh, in fringe media. This is a, a peer-reviewed scientific study of uh, actuarial science and actuarial data from Germany for the period in question. Um, that study found, quote, in 2020, the observed number of deaths was extremely close to the expected number. 2020 is the year of the pandemic. Right. Okay, so the observed number of deaths, extremely close to the expected number. That's when number. they were locking everyone yeah. down and saying this thing will kill the whole entire right. world, right? No deviation statistically in excess deaths. But they continue, and again I'm quoting, in 2021, the observed number of deaths was far above the expected number in the order of twice the empirical standard deviation. This analysis of the age-dependent monthly excess mortality showed that a high excess mortality observed in the age groups between 15 and 79 starting in April 2021 is responsible for the excess mortality in 2021, end quote. So what happened in April in Germany in 2021? They continue. Again, here's a quote. Yeah. In April 2020, an extensive vaccination campaign started in Germany. Comparing the number of vaccinations to the excess mortality should show the sum of two effects of the vaccination. On the one hand, decreasing excess mortality because of successful immunization, and on the other hand, an increasing mortality if the vaccinations would cause side effects in the forms of death. And what did they find? The figure shows that the strong increase in mortality in April 2021 and the further development of the excess deaths co-varies with the strong increase of the number of vaccinations. So, simply put, this careful actuarial study, and this is my words now, uh, has found that more vaccinations resulted in more deaths in Germany. Yeah, and that's been, that's been coming out. There's been, uh, especially in independent media, seems to be quite a few articles on these rising mortality rates. Now, it was actually a few months ago, too, that the insurance companies had come out with some information. Can you? Yeah, uh, the, you know, there was at least one insurance company executive who uh, announced that he was seeing more excess mortality in their, uh, in, in their numbers that they were getting for their company and in the industry as a whole. That is buttressed by this peer-reviewed study out of Germany, which has found exactly the same thing, which, again, was based on actuarial numbers and actuarial science, which is used by the insurance industry. So we are seeing multiple forms of confirmation of excess deaths following yeah. the mass vaccination campaign. Well, that seems to be something that we were... Um on top of, unfortunately, again, in July 5th, 2021, a TNA issue uh, in this one is uh, COVID-19 vaccines a cure worse than the disease. Uh, this article was authored by Dr. Lee Merritt, and she said that the Pfizer shot is not protecting people from COVID, but increasing fatalities from the disease, not to mention having other side effects. Now, would you take issue with the fact that, in this case, she says that fatalities were from the disease, are we seeing that the fatalities are strictly from the vaccines or are the vac okay we are seeing fatalities strictly from the vaccines uh, again this is you know my opinion based on what we yeah. have heard from various medical professionals who have been mm -hmm. looking at this and various scientists who have been looking at this and there seems to be more than one mechanism yeah. uh, that seems to be in play here uh, one of the mechanisms clearly uh, that i cited from peer review in endgame is the spike protein 
the spike protein has significant damaging effects on the cardiovascular system. And of course, one of the things we're seeing is deaths from cardiovascular uh, occurrences and, and diseases post-vaccination. Yeah. So uh, the most starkly disturbing of these are the deaths of young athletes, right. uh, of which there have been dozens upon dozens upon dozens. And it used to be that if a young athlete passed away in the course of uh, you know a sporting event or shortly after a sporting event, this was huge news because this is something that is not normal. Uh, so in those very rare occasions when it happened, you know, everyone was curious as to what was the what was the result, and it was a tragedy, and it was uh, looked at as a, a real anomaly. But now we're seeing it normalized, and that's not normal, um, <laughs> to put it bluntly. <laughs> well, uh, what do you make of that? Because one thing I've read and I've seen is that we all there's a lot of this stuff where it's like, well, okay, well, if they're so terrible, why isn't everyone dropping dead? There's a lot more athletes who haven't dropped mm-hmm. dead, and there's a lot more young people, obviously, who haven't and whatnot. And one thing I've read about, for instance, is this issue of batches. Like, there were some ba- bad batches and some were good and whatnot. I'm, I don't know the particulars. What do you make of that? I think there's enough evidence to think that there were some batches that were uh, questionable. Is that what they're dropping dead from? But, but in my opinion, not entirely. Um, I think what you're seeing is the vast variability of the human immune system and the human biological system overall. Uh, every individual is uh, different in how they developed from an infant to, to, a, to an adult. Every individual is different from their, in their basic genome. Every individual is different in their epigenetic reaction to environmental stimuli and the things that they encounter. And this is a highly complex system. Human biology, biology in general, biological systems mm. are extremely highly chaotically complex and impossible to predict how they're going to perform under certain circumstances. And in this case... And there's uh, exterior factors as exactly. well, Exactly. Right? This is why under normal drug development work, you have extensive testing because it has to be, these things have to be characterized over many, many different variables in order to get an understanding of how these drugs, uh, whatever they are, whether they're a vaccine or typically a, mm-hmm. a standard drug, to understand how they're going to impact that complex biological system. This did not happen with these shots. What about the argument that the mRNA technology has been tested, just not in this, I guess, in this particular uh, realm or in this particular way or with this particular disease? Oh, it doesn't matter. mRNA technology is absolutely phenomenal in terms of its technology that underlies it. Um, that doesn't mean necessarily it's the right way to just blindly put things into the human population. Just, just because with mRNA technology you can inject an mRNA strand that can cross the cell membrane and enter into the cell's manufacturing mm-hmm. capacity to build a protein doesn't mean that it's a good idea to build that protein. And it doesn't mean that you've understood how that protein is going to interact with that biological system. But moreover, do you understand exactly the ramifications of the nano-encapsulated formula that you're using to make that mRNA be protected within the biological system such that it can exist long enough to cross that cell membrane and get into that cell? Uh, What is the impact of that nano-capsule on the biological system itself. So some of the ingredients in that nanocapsulation formula, for instance, uh, ethylene glycol, perhaps, a polyethylene glycol peg, mm-hmm. maybe some people are sensitive to that. And of course, we know that they are. Some people are sensitive to that, uh, including even perhaps even exposure to it on the skin. Now, if you're injecting that substance as a nanocapsule into 
right into their body, what impact is that going to have? And was it tested? Has it been characterized? Do we understand it? Right. Uh, I think the answer is probably no when we haven't done enough testing. Mm-hmm. Um, then there are the genetic factors that have gone into the mRNA strand that's been synthesized that is being injected itself. How is that mRNA strand protected from breakdown? And how long will that mRNA strand exist within the, within the cell uh, or within the body in general? Uh, naturally produced mRNA exists for a very short period of time before it's broken down because the cell needs to be able to process new mRNA directions that's coming from the, the genetic material, the genetic factory of the cell. Right. The synthetic mRNA vaccine, in order to be protected from breakdown, has been manipulated with various various architectural changes to it to keep it in situ longer. Mm-hmm. And how does that interfere with the molecular machinery within the cell and the production of other necessary proteins? Again, is that what we're finding out? Again, not enough testing was done, so we're in uncharted territory. This is the testing phase, or this is the... Yeah. The, the, so we're testing live on the human population, really, to see yeah. what's going to happen. And, you know, that's why you have some people like Vera Sharav, who, has, who we have interviewed. She survived the Holocaust. She compares this to Nazi medical atrocity because we're basically conducting human-scale tests on the entire population, yeah. which she is, you know, she can't believe that this is happening. And I think none of us should be able to believe this is happening. This is not normal, again. Right. <laughs> well, another, uh, there's other things we warned about was, myokind, my, was myocarditis. Myocarditis, yeah, my, inflammation my, of the heart. And, and thrombosis. Yeah. How have those warnings panned out? They're absolutely in play. They're, those warnings were absolutely correct. Uh, myocarditis is well known now as one of the chief side effects mm. Of the vaccine, and uh, it's a very big concern. Myocarditis is inflammation of the heart. It damages the heart. It radically can reduce lifespans. Yeah. It happens in young people, and we're we're grappling with uh, an epidemic of this. And yeah. I don't think any of us knows. No one knows at this point. It's become what's so significant that even the CDC has addressed it. The right? CDC Correct? has. Yes. Yeah. So you know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's serious. It's serious. And then you know. The clotting situation, this is a spike protein uh, function. Um, as I discuss in Endgame, uh, I describe how the spike protein impacts mm-hmm. blood clotting and what it does. Uh, and I don't even get into all the details, so if for people who don't want to get into the deep science, I try to keep it right. you know, simple enough so you can follow along. Well, but why don't you say what makes you qualified to kind of to talk about this and the research you did? Well, uh, my background is uh, many years ago when I was a, a college student, I studied biology, uh, achieved a, a, a a minor in biology and was uh, voted into uh, the um, Honor Society for Undergraduate Biology at that time. Uh, subsequent to that, um, I worked in specialty chemicals uh, mm-hmm. in the intellectual property side of the specialty chemicals industry uh, for a decade. And uh, in that position, my role was to uh, help assist and maintain the intellectual property that goes into and out of a laboratory developing yeah. applied specialty chemical solutions for a wide array of industries right. within the U.S. Thanks, Dennis. Sorry to make so, you do that. Yeah, <laughs> so there's a little aside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm not a doctor, nor do I play one on TV, but I, I think that... Um, all Americans, because of the nature of our republic and the important role that American citizens have mm-hmm. to play in shaping their own political destiny, in a world where we have 
such advanced technology now need to become conversant in that technology. They need to study that technology just so that they can have an informed voice in the future direction of their country. Because we now live in a, in a society that is characterized by having access to rapidly expanding technological capacities. Yeah. Uh, things that just a few years ago would have been thought of as purely in the realm of science fiction are now actually in the lab and uh, and various places in a pipeline toward commercialization. And this is one of them, this, this mRNA technology being uh, broadly introduced. This is science fiction stuff, but it's not science fiction anymore. It's in the real world and it's actually taking place. Do you remember that, uh, that interview we did, uh, April 16, 2021 to be exact, with uh, Dr. Botke? And yes. it was, uh, he said that the vaccines would cause a global catastrophe and a decimation of the human population. Uh, that seemed sensational, and I think looking back, I think even now people would say, well, we haven't really seen a decimation. How do you think that prediction has changed, and are we even out of the woods with this thing? We're not even close to out of the woods. Um, we're looking at uh, delayed effects of the vaccine in a number of ways. Okay, that's an important thing. Then. Yeah, uh, one of the ways is this. You know, There's a lot of news that you're going to find, if you go out and look for it, look for microclotting. Uh, one of the impacts of the spike protein seems to be, as we talked already about, the clotting that it does. So it's causing microclots. Many people have commented on this. I don't think there's really any doubt that this is occurring now. This is a major, major issue. Within your, within, within your biology, uh, the blood flow runs through your arteries and veins, but when it gets to where it has to be effective in trans, transferring uh, oxygen and nutrients to your tissues, that's through capillaries. Capillaries are very, very small blood vessels. Microclots tend to obstruct those capillaries. And capillary obstruction, uh, anyone who has type 2 diabetes will be quite familiar with this. Capillary destruction and obstruction means blood flow doesn't get to your extremities and can impact your internal organs. And in type 2 diabetes, for instance, that means you start having peripheral neuropathy. You start having a lack of, which is lack of feeling in your extremities, your fingers and toes. Uh, that can lead to the inability to heal from injury. So, for instance, uh, type 2 diabetics will often find themselves with significant infections in their feet. And you'll see a lot of people who have amputations as a result. Uh, you'll see damage to the kidneys in type 2 diabetes. Uh, this is, again, because blood flow in the capillaries is not, uh, not acting properly. Are you normally. seeing a rise in any of this stuff? Well, I think that when you start seeing that you have uh, microclotting going on mm -hmm. with, uh, as a result, downstream side effect from yeah, the yeah. vaccine, now you have to start worrying about those outcomes. And I think that those are outcomes that don't appear instantaneously. And that's one of the really diabolical impacts of type 2 diabetes. The sufferer of type 2 diabetes often doesn't know they have type 2 diabetes until the side effects are already extreme. This is what I fear. I fear that many people who have microclotting issues don't even know they have had these microclotting issues, and what are the downstream health effects likely to be from that? Are we going to be looking at shortened lifespans? Are we looking at kidney damage? Right. Are we looking at liver damage? Are we looking at reproductive system damage? I don't know, but that's the, that's the problem. No one knows. Again, we didn't test. And you're afraid this is where this this is what we're going to start seeing. I think we have to be afraid of that, and I think Dr. Hodkinson, uh, he pretty much said it himself, uh, you know, in his interview. Um, this is just getting started. And, oh, wow. and again, Dr. Hodkinson was just interviewed within the last 24 hours or so. Mm -hmm. uh, he's not the only doctor with these worries. And yeah. um, What think, about people who are listening, right, and they're like, and 
there's I'm sure there's a lot of vaccine remorse out there. Sure. Is there any way, and I know articles have been written about this, to reverse some of the effects that this may have? Do you know of any? You don't have. I don't know of any. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can only talk probably in the general sense, which is, I think, uh, standard good quality health advice that anybody would normally mm-hmm. expect to hear from, say, a nutritionist. You can never go or, wrong with that anyway, right? Yeah, I mean, try to have good nutrition, try to exercise, try to get fresh air. Um, make sure that if you undertake an exercise program, you consult with your doctor beforehand if you have any kind of health underlying mm-hmm. health concerns to make sure what you're doing doesn't impact that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, get enough sunshine, vitamin D, make sure your immune system is well taken care of, get enough sleep. Uh, in a case, whenever you've been injured, whenever you've been uh, exposed to a substance that may cause you to have a disease, I think it's imperative that the person uh, do as much as they can, even more so than under normal circumstances, to follow basic standard good health advice to strengthen themselves yeah. up from all possible angles. Develop healthy habits for re- as, as, as a form of rehab. Yeah, I think that's really the only the only mm-hmm. solid choice. And in, in the absence of any actual knowledge as to what to do, which I don't think, again, we haven't done any testing. This is an experimental wow. situation. No one knows. <laughs> what's, uh, what's your take on um, the perception now, the American perception especially, but I guess in, in general, the West, to, to the shots now? Like I have here in front of me a Washington Post article that was uh, October 7th, not too long ago. And uh, few Americans get new COVID booster shot ahead of projected winter surge. Only 44% of eligible people are fully boosted. And it, and it, uh, of course, there's, there's lots of concern, Dennis. Um, is this an indication that people uh, are getting their understanding how harmful this is? Or is it a lack, as in here, it suggests that it's also a lack of the uh, of letting off the pedal of propaganda, you know, mm. the CDC and, and the government, they've kind of let off the pedal of propaganda. So that's why people aren't shoving third and fifth. It's funny, there's an, an incident in here where they mention that one guy, the, the subject, and he's like, oh, well, I had the first and the second. I didn't know I was going to need third, fourth, and fifth <laughs> shots, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, so what what is your take on, what are you seeing as far as a public perception? I think the key part of the public perception is that the shots don't work. And I think if most Americans initially believed that they worked, mm-hmm. uh, I think the propaganda was successful. And most Americans did rush out and, you know, hey, we're good Americans. We want to yeah. stop this pandemic. We're told the shot will work. Let's get the shot. Yeah. And then uh, our triple boosted president gets it twice. Huh? Th- and there you go, right there, because <laughs> they have then seen example after example after example, multiplying into the dozens and the hundreds and the thousands yeah. of people who got the shot, they themselves included in many cases, mm-hmm. who then got the, got sick. Uh, and were amply demonstrated that the shot doesn't work. And so that immediately started killing off the desire of the American people, in my opinion, to go out and get the shot. Now, there's a cohort of those people who are seeing the bad side effects and are starting to realize not only does the shot not work, mm-hmm. it has risks. Yeah. And so that starts, I think, really killing off uh, the desire to go get the shot. You think that shot, uh, that that message is, is getting out? Because I really don't know anyone who doesn't know that there's a – uh, risk. I've yet to meet these people who apparently don't know that. I think we all can say we know someone who's been injured or or hurt. Uh, my neighbor, for instance, or my 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 former neighbor, he 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 took it to get to to travel. Yeah. Uh, I think like a lot of people, they took it for to have liberty. Yeah. They shouldn't have to. 
And he's like, man, that thing really messed me up. And he said his problem is he's got this foggy brain thing going on. I've heard that's and, common. Yeah. And he hasn't, um, he hasn't recovered from it at all. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, I would think that's part, you know, as, as much as propaganda can do, and it was highly successful, I, we yeah. would agree, it seems like reality has converged and, and overshadowed, I would think, uh, propaganda. And I think this sure is, has. this is, I would think this is uh, proof, right? 4%. Yep. That's a low number. It's because, a very low number. Because they're saying that up to 70% of Americans got the first and the, sh- uh, and the second. Yep. And to go from that down to 4%, and I don't even know if that's, what do you think of that number? 70%, 68% or something they say got the initial f- shots? I think that may be a little high, but I do think an awful lot of people did go get the shots. I was personally thinking it was probably in the 55 to 60% range, but, you know, it could be a little higher. But, yeah, I don't know if we know that exactly. And for all we know, they're lying about the 4%. That may be even well, an inflated number. It could be, because here's the thing. I, I, I do know people who are committed progressives, and I mean they've lived their entire life as a committed progressive, that they feel it's a moral obligation for everyone to vote Democrat no matter what under every circumstance. That the, And they went out and enthusiastically got three shots. They got the first one, they got the second one, they got the third one. Take a religion. Yep. And now that they've got the fourth, now that the fourth shot is staring them in the face and they're, they've been advised, you know, repeatedly by the TV and by their doctors to get the shot. I've had people in this classification who I know very well who have said to me, yeah, I don't think I'm going to get that one. <laughs> Where do you see this going? Um, should we all lay back now? This is a threat of vaccines and whatever else it is they want to shove into our bodies is is that over now we that have threat is not over no uh i i don't think here i'm just going to speak purely opinion in this case i don't think the point of this was to vaccinate people for vaccination purposes in my opinion the point of all this was to test to see first of all could this be coordinated worldwide second of all could it be possible to coerce the mass population of the world into doing what the government says. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, I think this was a massive sociological, social engineering test to see what could be done to coerce a population, an entire population of a world to do something, to undertake some action. And uh, I think from that test, it's a qualified success if you're one of those people who are that manipulative. And I think that test then conveys a certain bit of information to those people who are able to maneuver the levers of power. Mm. And that information is that, yes, we can do this. Mm. And uh, that means they'd have another hammer, so to speak, in the tool chest. And I'm a firm believer of the old adage that when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So my takeaway from this is I don't expect this to be the last time we'll see these types of campaigns take place. In fact, I think we're more likely to see this type of coercive, you know, multi-nation uh, attempt to coerce a population into yeah. a behavior uh, in the future. I think it's more likely now than it was in the past. This, is, this of, is unprecedented in my opinion. Are they kind of back in the huddle now to get back and try to get to their desired goal there? That's I think you're going to see a lot of interesting modeling coming out of the NGOs and their aligned universities yeah, <laughs> in yeah. the future that take this into consideration. But I wonder, though, if also they've been awakened or maybe they, they didn't expect some of the resistance uh, that they got, which I think is is building as well. Uh, Quite right. Quite right, particularly in the United States. Uh, here in the U.S., we were the key nation mm-hmm. that needed to fall into line. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, our Constitution, our Bill of Rights is different than everywhere else. 
uh, it puts strictures on the government and doesn't give them an, an out to avoid those strictures quite as easily as elsewhere. So getting the U.S. to fall into line uh, was absolutely important for getting the rest of the world to follow. Uh, the U.S., you know, resistance here was pretty strong, particularly yeah. in some states. There were states that were like, this was not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I think everyone knows which states those were at this point. Uh, uh, we so consistently on had one of the lower uh, rates of vaccination to begin with. Yeah. And then we were the few who, you know, we were making the news because we're showing up to, to the Capitol and we're, yeah. we're, we're protesting. I think it's a, it's a proud moment in American history. Um, it's one of those times when Americans were faced with uh, really a history-making uh, choice uh, to go along or to stand up for independence and freedom. And enough Americans have that, uh, you know, American mindset that they're independent and they're free and they're not going to be told what to do, uh, that they they stood up and acquitted themselves well, and they should be very proud for doing uh, that against really what was a worldwide propaganda campaign, uh, the pressure of which was, you know, short of maybe the World War One propaganda yeah. campaign back in those days, uh, unequaled. Have they awakened the bear, you think? They poked too hard? We're going to be seeing the ramifications of this politically, in my opinion, for at least a decade. This is going to inform a lot of activity in, in the political sphere by the American people for a long time. Uh, it has woken up a lot of people to the potential of unmitigated political power centralized in the hands of one particular party uh, in a way that uh, no event in American history, modern American history in any way, ever has. Uh, and we are going to be seeing unpredictable outcomes as a result of that. This is a, this is a permutation in the political firmament that we're, we're going to have to grapple with for some time. Do you think there's a, an aspect of this uh, where they'd rather we forget? Is there why some, they're kind of letting up about some of the, uh, you know, the, the restrictions? But also, of course, Fauci is leaving. You know, he's obviously he's a reminder uh, of that tyranny, that authoritarianism. I, I don't know why Fauci is leaving. I don't know if it's because of the coming investigation or whatnot. Um, what was my question? <laughs> do you think a that's, good question? Yeah, right, right. Uh, do you think they're they're trying to help us forget about some of that? They know it was a disaster, uh, and they're just kind of kind of retool. You know, is that why Fauci's leaving? Is that why they're letting up on some of the stuff? But it's not because necessarily they didn't believe what they were doing, or it's not like they're they changed their minds. Oh, right. Like, yeah. This was terrible. How dare we do this to people? Well, they're pivoting from one disaster to the next, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so oh yeah, we got World War Three yeah, coming now. That's right. Yeah, that's so. You know, you know, and we've got we've got a couple disasters here simultaneously. We have mm -hmm. had for a very long time now a very yeah. tenuous we can never economic rest situation. And catch up, right? Just kind of rest right, and yeah. take it all and assess what the heck is going on here. But here's one under, thing after another. Here's huh? the underlying problem: we have a very tenuous economic situation in this. Oh in, yeah, in the there's world, that, right? Especially in the country. There's, I suppose, eight percent inflation. Well, and there's you know. Everything that took place with regard to the Federal Reserve's manipulation of the money supply, with regard to the COVID lockdowns, uh, problems still stemming from the 2008 crisis that never were resolved properly, all of these things lead to what some people have called the everything bubble. And mm -hmm. the very large concern that the everything bubble is going to be an epic financial catastrophe. And so much, the theory goes, that much of what we're seeing uh, in terms of uh, the pandemic crisis, the manipulation of that for political gain, uh, the war th that's going on in Europe uh, and threatens to explode everywhere else, um, that those things are 
ramifications of this underlying financial crisis. And if that's the case, we really do have a tenuous situation moving forward, which only underscores the absolute importance of an informed American electorate. Mm. Um, because only an informed American electorate can help mold the political situation in such a way that freedom is maintained under the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. That's yep. that's absolutely important. Yeah, I would. I like to say that the silver lining in this is that people have certainly awakened. Yep. There's no way, you know, there's no way. There was a lot of naivety, I would say, before. And here at the John Burr Society, I, I don't think anyone has been confronted with that naivety more than us because since 1958. In some way, shape, or form, we have been saying, look, there is a plan by a, sm- by a network. Mm-hmm. You know, you call it the international oligarch class. We right. call them the insiders, the conspiracy, whatever they want. you want to call them, to subjugate you into this one-world totalitarian government. And, of course, we saw, you know, through the UN and the WHO and, and this coordinated global attack, and uh, many realize it's like, holy crap, that's— that seems to be true. Yep. You know, you got Klaus Schwab, you know, the future is with us, you know. <laughs> but it's like, here they are. They're, they're, yeah. they're, they're saying it, and now they make no bones about it. It's like, yes, there's no other way to deal with this deadly virus and, and all these global problems without globalism. And uh, what about this rise of nationalism? Is that a response to, to COVID tyranny, to all this thing? Is there a connection, you think? And oh. do you believe there's a rise of nationalism? We're kind of going on a tangent here, but we'll finish up quickly. I think there is a rise of nationalism, and I think it is a response, uh, but it's not a new response. Uh, This is a traditional response, I think. Um, I think whether, let's say, it's Brexit earlier, uh, it's Trump world, and I'm not saying Trump, but Trump world Mm -hmm. earlier here in the U.S., uh, or the Tea Parties before that. Or if uh, you see in Italy, it's been a, there's been a percolation for quite many years now in Italy uh, for traditional Italians to try to exercise their own culture a little right, bit more right. than they have, which you see now uh, having been They're reflected. messing with the Italian family, and they've had yeah. enough, man. So <laughs> I think what you're seeing is the re-emergence of traditional ties in the cultures that, are in these, that underlie these nations. Because yeah. the nation state isn't just isn't just a name on a map. The nation state is an emergent quality of a culture that exists in a particular geographic region. And those cultures typically have long, long and deep, deep historical roots to those areas. And so you can't just wipe those out like the globalists would have liked. I think uh, a lot of people- The globe, they're gonna be there and they're now showing themselves a little bit more because they're absolutely vital in uh, the sense of uh, the theological concept of mm-hmm. subsidiarity, which is simply put, um, authority for decision making should rest at the lowest possible level where that is most effective. Right. So, you know, parents and families, for instance, would be more effective at helping raise children than a distant bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. Subsidiarity says that should be the parents' duty. Yeah. Uh, so, in the, the American system, we call that federalist federalism, which is written right into our constitutional system. And all of this boils down to is a set of firewalls between authorities that prevents the spread of centralized tyranny across an entire political organization. And we're seeing that reasserted. And that's actually a very healthy thing. That is what is absolutely necessary to keep them there from being, whether it be a national dictatorship or a global dictatorship, those those cultural firewalls that are as a consequence of the theological concept and the philosophical concept of subsidiarity, those are extremely important. They're reasserting themselves naturally in response to this global tyranny that was almost fastened on us in the form of COVID. 
I'd imagine part of that is because they took those liberties and, you know, even biology, apparently, human biology for granted. And then, you know, again, COVID mania hits and like, oh, I, I can't leave my house. Oh, I, I have to shutter my business. Uh, oh, I can't I can't go to church. Oh, I need a, va- a, a, a passport to go to a coffee shop, to go to a ball game. They're like, I never would I, I never thought this would would happen. Yeah. And uh, or like you know, like we mentioned Italy, uh, the the new prime minister. Uh, of course, we've yet to see what she'll do. We don't know, but her talk is representative or indicative at least of what the people want, right? And right. she talks a lot about family because you have this insane campaign, this transgender, this fluid, gender fluid campaign. And maybe Italians, like most sane people, uh, at least the sane Italians, they took it for granted. It's like, yeah, a man's a man, a woman's a woman. And, you know, if, if a dude wants to be a woman, he's probably, probably got some mental issues and whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to help him out, whatever. But now it's like, oh, no, like we need to put this dude in a, in a library uh, so he can read to, to kids yep. and, and, and right. tell him, uh, you know, it's okay to be crazy and, and mental Ill, mentally ill or whatever. Uh, so anyway, with all that, all that we covered, what do you suggest to, to freedom lovers, to uh, nationalists everywhere? Uh, what would you suggest? Let's close that off with that. Well, I'd say follow the Federalist principles um, and the subsidiarity theory. Your most active and effic- your most effective action is taking place at the greatest locality that you can achieve. And so you have to start in your family. Protect your family, raise your family, do a great job with your kids, be respectful of your grandparents and your parents. If you're a parent yourself, set a great example. Then, you know, obviously with education, you wanna make your kids uh, successful with their education. Make sure you do good, take good steps on your own. Make your own decisions. Be, be well informed and act on that information for your kids. And then, you know, expand that out to your local level. If it's at your school board, uh, if you're still engaged with that level of education and you're not a homeschooler, but even if you are a homeschooler, be aware of what's happening in your culture mm-hmm. locally. Uh, if it's uh, your local community, if you're, you're engaged with your sheriff's office, uh, make sure you talk with them. Uh, spread the word about the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, solid foundational American civics principles, build at the local level because that is, that is from that level that all of the future emergence of our political discourse takes place. Um, and that's by design. Our founding fathers designed a federalist system mm. of government for our republic to work that so way. So don't go to Washington, D.C. and protest in front of the White House? That's a waste of time, and you're just asking for trouble, which we saw. I yeah. mean, and the, the other side is going to use that against us. We had that message here from the New American from the mm. very beginning. Uh, we said, you know what, if you're going to go out there and protest, you're just asking for trouble. It's not effective. It's just, it's just going to cause all sorts of mayhem. We saw that, all sorts of mayhem. Build a firm foundation. You don't build a house without a firm foundation underneath it. Your house will fall down. Right. That's what we're at. Brick by brick, stone yeah, exactly. by Exactly. It's not glamorous, but it's effective. And, you know, the other side has done it. They had a, since the 1960s, they had an explicit goal, run through the institutions, meaning run through the local institutions and corrupt them. And from that, they could emerge victorious at the federal and, and international level. Right. Well, you know, they were they were right. I hate to admit it. Their strategy was correct. They and they did it. They prosecuted it. They followed it. They did it and they were successful. We can only turn this around by doing the same thing. Quality American values, freedom, respect for the individual, uh, love for the individual, the Christian virtues. These all take place at the local level. Right. That's our foundation. From that we can rebuild the house of freedom. One one day at a time, one community at a time. Correct. I think that's a that's a large problem especially today is that you know, like you said, it's certainly not glamorous, uh, but 
you, you just got to keep at it and take community by community and you take a state you take back the the nation and and that's the that's the way to do it yep uh it, i think it's part of the reason we have such a hard time getting really good activists because you know it'll take years for for some things to happen but it took years to get here it decades did. so let's keep that in mind thank you dennis so much man always a pleasure you're welcome paul great 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 being here today well while the vaccine tyranny campaign has let up the globalists certainly haven't scrapped their plans to control you and uh dennis kind of talked about that a little bit uh, there's plenty of evidence to the contrary, and uh, this generation of globalists, like the previous, are perseverant, creative, and patient. They're also demonic. They're not going away. So if we are to live free, we must be active, and like we said, be active in our communities. That's the key. So first and foremost, turn on as many people as you know to true, reliable news. That's not globalist propaganda. If we're going to win, we need to know who the enemy is and how it works. And, of course, we recommend our magazine, The New American Magazine, uh, as we just showed just in one instance. We've been on top of these things for a long time, and not, not just with COVID. Uh, and so our reporting on COVID tyranny alone will, test, uh, will stand the test of time, but there's many others. Uh, secondly, get involved in pro-Americanist activism in your communities. For that, we recommend us, the John Birch Society. I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't believe it. We've been exposing the globalists and warning about them since 1958. We know how they work and how they can be stopped. We have members in all 50 states. Team up with us. And uh, connect with your local coordinator to get started if you're not sure where to get started. There's a link in the description below. And as you join us in this most epic of undertakings, always remember that whatever ails society, freedom is the cure.